For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. Incoming transmission. Oh no. Oh no. Anyone. Anyone but them. Welcome to the Geek Show uh, on the geekshow.co.uk at the Animex Special for 2012. Stay tuned for two minutes and uh, we'll be back with you. This is Phil on 104.5 CBFM, The Geek Show, broadcasting live from Animex 2012. Yes, we are. With myself, Phil. Me, Harry. Me, Momo. Me, Rob. And we've got a variety of guests tonight. First up is Karen Prell from Valve. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good, good. Um, Just for the listeners that don't know who you are, Karen, um, what what do you do at Valve? I am an animator. I I animated on Portal 2. That's what I uh, talked about this week at Animex. Yeah, we, we, we were massive fans of Portal. Yes, oh, we do. Wonderful. The, a- the animations on Wheatley were amazing, by the way. I just have to say. He was so much fun to, to animate. Stephen Merchant's voice was just inspiring. That and, and the, the writing, it was just fun. A lot of preparation when it went into it. Uh, if you saw the, the talk, a lot of things had to be prepared in advance mm. so that by the time his vocals were, were ready, you could just jump in there and get it done, and it really worked out well. That's cool. Well, um, we're going to go into the news section, just kind of, you know, butt in with the news, uh, and then, you know, we'll, we'll ask you some questions about yourself, your job, and, uh, and, and Portal, if we can, if that's okay. Sure. Awesome sauce. Right, okie dokie, the news. Uh, first one coming up is, ooh, U.S. Navy to test their, uh, oh, no, it's this, this is one, the, isn't it? Yeah, it's Project it's Overkill, isn't it? Project Overkill. Uh, the U.S. Navy is to test the BAE systems. Uh, which is an electromagnetic railgun in February. Yes. Isn't this one like Gundams have, the giant metal-slinging monstrosities? Yes, it's the kind of thing that you find in cartoons. The, um, the Navy's been tinkering with the idea since 2005 and have put more than $200 million into it, which is £130 million. Pounds. Uh, and basically what it does is it fires a projectile between two rails uh, at speeds up to 7,200 kilometres an hour. That is unbelievable. Yes. And, to be honest, terrifying. And it uses no, no common gunpowder or explosives or anything like no, that. No propulsion. No, ign- no propulsion, no ignition. Entirely so there. how does it begin moving it through this? It's it uses magnets. Yeah, it uses magnets. 
You know how Magnets. you get you get trains that run uh, on yeah, monorail, yeah, the Japanese monorail, stuff like that. Train. It's oh. effectively the same principle, but you're driving this thing between okay. a series of electromagnets. Um, the technology has been around for, actually for a long time. Here's one for here's one for Harry. Uh, Tim Schafer persuades fans to finance the next adventure game, and he's done it using Kickstarter. Take all my money. <laughs> just 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 take my money. Just take it all now. He's done it what using Kickstarter. Adventure game. Three hundred thousand dollars. Yes. To finance the game, yeah. they've got from fans alone. Um, wow. Wasn't it completed? His funding was completed, and yeah, I think it was a day or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, you'd be surprised if people with massive fan bases can achieve. And the best part is there's a there's a documentary, which is going to be by our friends Two Player Productions. Really? Oh, yes. Two Player guys. Productions for people who don't know are the people that did the Minecraft documentary. They did a Blip Festival documentary. Yes. Uh, so the, the documentary that really portrays chip tunes for the reform out the planet. Yeah. Reform out the planet. Sorry, mm. thank you. So why is Schaefer <laughs> looking for funding from fans? I mean, should he go to a publisher and could go? Well, I'm Tim I'm Schaefer, sure and Double Fine's quite popular. Publishers can be quite strict on what you can do, though. So it, oh. he has full control now of what he wants to make. <gasps> okay, I like that idea. Right, <laughs> new story number three. Uh, spherical robot pigs transfer kisses between long-distance lovers. Yes, robot revolution. We love oh, you. So that, much. That Do you remember we talked about this uh, Japan? This uh, I think, if I remember right, it was a Japanese or Korean idea yes. called Lovotics. It was all about uh, the transference of love between a human and a robot. So, so this this is this is kiss, kisses by internet. Effectively, yes. It's. Uh, Originally, when they came up with this idea of Lobotics, it was just kind of this spherical thing in what looked like mm. a tea cozy. Yes. And it just, it, it just kind of made these purring noises, and it was soft to touch. And it, you just kind of got was oh, creepy. Up, to be honest, it was creepy. You know where this is going. Yes, we do. You know where the next logical step for this <laughs> is. We do. We've seen... The couples the, are We know apart. about the dental robots that were taken from the other industry. We know yes. about all of those things. So, yes, we already know where this is going. Yeah, so we, we, we don't need to Love between a that. human and a robot. Love Isn't it a beautiful thing? Uh, oh, robo, robosexual, I believe the, the term <laughs> is. Okay, uh, now, uh, obviously, here's a really good one uh, and topical. Full-size portal gun you can actually own. Yes. But I already promised my money to Tim Schafer. What? It costs about 130 quid, doesn't it? Have you given all your money to Tim Schafer and, and now you can't afford... I think I just verbally contracted it when you mentioned <laughs> that. <laughs> it's only 130 pounds. That's really good. Will you yeah, be buying one, Karen? A full-size portal gun. I'd, I'd be interested in, in one. Now, what, what, where did you find out about a portal gun for sale? Um, it's originally, we got this from uh, Kotaku. It doesn't actually say who's selling it, so shame on you, Kotaku. No, it should say it. <laughs> Maybe you just say that you want to sell it, and then there's a big circle appears in your wall, and they come through. Yeah, <laughs> my bet's eBay. Oh, they're they're a, they're a Japanese replica company, actually. Yes. Oh. Um, and the website's in Japanese. Morgan, translate. No. <laughs> no. It, it's it's it not Japanese. Or katakana. No, Hiragana. No, bail, bail. <laughs> now, if you had Google Chrome, that would translate it live. Oh, well, uh, it's an Apple Shame problem. on you, so you guys. iPad. Always with the promo. I, I, I think, Karen, could you put that down on company expenses? <laughs> <laughs> Have you got an expense form for knockoff Valve toys? <laughs> it helps me like get into funding, character. Funding counterfeit toys, yeah? <laughs> do, do we know it's counterfeit, though? It might have, it it's might have been It's not on the Valve store, so I'm pretty much... So that's because it hasn't been released yet. Ah, all right, okay. There is a reason. Okay. Now, uh... <laughs> 
Thank you to Gizmodo for this one. Uh, the softer side of chainsaws accentuate. <laughs> oh, I showed Momo chainsaw, this one. Uh, oh, yeah. Accentuated rifles. This is a My Little Pony sticker collection on a chainsaw or a No, ride. it's not just My Pretty Little Pony. Much. It's rainbows, butterflies, you name it. It's this white uh, Smith and Wesson assault rifle, effectively, with a chainsaw yes. snapped to the front. And it's covered in all sorts of pretty stickers to make it appeal to teenage girls. Oh, awesome. It yes. even comes with an accessory pouch for your lipstick and your mobile phone and things like that. Or spare you know, rack. Various uh, straggly colourful bits on the end. Well, to be honest, when the zombie apocalypse does happen, because obviously it will, because we've been preparing for it for so long, you know, obviously. It is the fabulous weapon to it use. Is. It is. During the zombie man. apocalypse. For all, uh, it is. It's like the real-world equivalent of lollipop chainsaw. I was well, just about to say. Now the American military has taken back uh, Don't Tell. Don't, uh, don't Ask, Don't Tell. Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Now they've taken it back, and you, you can go with the Spangly Rainbow M16. I will happily lead the Spangly Rainbow Brigade. That'll be fine. The element of surprise will be strong. <laughs> Operation Rainbow Shield. all over the distance. It's insane fabulousness. High velocity power. Yes. <laughs> Momo, what? I was up? just going to say, I'm really, I just, I'm really digging the chainsaw at the bottom. Yes. <laughs> well, the next logical step with that is the last bit of news we've got today is uh, neuroscience means that soldiers can control weapons with their minds. Yes. So, to be honest, if if Harry or Morgan had their minds connected to an M16 with a chainsaw on the end that was fabulous like that one that would be fabulous and multi-rainbow coloured yes just so you know Karen (laughs) Harry and Momo are made of rainbows (laughs) they are made of rainbows they're rainbow tacky yes fabulous you go call me fabulous to Ian's profession rainbows and major league ponies major league ponies (laughs) Uh, I will get you with that chainsaw (laughs) Oh, well, okay. Right, anyway, joining us today, we have Karen Prell from Valve. Yeah. Yes, hi, Karen. Hello. So how are you finding Animex so far? I am loving it. I'm having a wonderful time. Just, just meeting the, the uh, students, the other speakers. Everybody is so excited. Everybody's in, inspiring each other. Um, it's, it's great. So I, I'm already planning to, to come back. Whether I'm invited or not, I'm going to come back <laughs> Middlesbrough Middlesbrough's not really one of the most creative places in in England, but yet Animex is really making it so. Yes, uh, oh yes. We, we're turning into we're turning into a uh, a digital creative hub in the north, uh, along with you know everything else that's going on with the area. How about where you've come from? Is is the area you've come from very very creative uh, or? Is it one of these things where you guys are in the middle and it's a concentrated hive of creativity? Actually, Valve is, is uh, right near where I live, and I grew up in that area. This is near Seattle in Washington State, the northwest of the United States. It's, it's where uh, Boeing Aerospace got going. It's where Microsoft and computers got going. So there's, there's a, a, a lot of technology creativity and also uh, a lot of wonderful art art and music so um, there's there's a lot happening around there that's that's all all feeding off of each other and, and inspiring things like like a place like valve to get going um, as for portal how did you get involved with portal were you with valve before or I had just started at valve when they were getting ready to ship the orange box with the original portal. Oh, yeah. So I, I got to um, uh, play test it a bit when I started at Valve, and 
and I, I really, really loved it. It was really exciting. I didn't know much about video games and hadn't played video games much before I started there. I had been yeah. working on feature animation. So, um, oh, and then once, once they completed Portal, that's the first video game I played all the way through and just found it very, very exciting. So when the project that eventually became Portal started up, I jumped right on it because I wanted to work on a, on a game just, just as exciting yeah. as the original. What was it like working with Jeep? Great. I mean, he's, you know, he's just mellow and quiet. And, and in fact, the whole Portal 2 team was like Jeep. If you imagine, because yeah. we've talked about our cabal system at, at Valve, so imagine a whole huge cabal of Jeeps. <laughs> and everybody just, just very, very... Sorry, uh, I just had a very strange mental image there. <laughs> a very strange mental image. But just everybody just... Everybody just quietly awesome and on the same wavelength and uh, and dedicated and and bursting with creativity in kind of this this quiet way. It was a wonderful group to 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 work with. We we were all really just uh, in, enjoying supporting each other and, and getting this bigger bigger version of uh, Portal ready for the sequel. Fantastic. But Valve's only the latest place you've worked. Isn't it? Mm, yeah. Uh, you've worked with some pretty big names in the past as well. Yes, yeah, but before I worked at Valve, I um, did animation in feature films. I worked at uh, DNA Productions in Texas on a very lovely movie called The Ant Bully. It didn't really yeah, get seen yeah. a lot, but it's I've a really, really, really sweet movie. I animated at Tippett Studio. I animated on several things like Son of the Mask and Disney's Enchanted. I um, and before that I was at uh, about four years I was at uh, Pixar Studios, animating on Jerry's Game and Bugs Life for the Birds, a um, li- little bit on uh, Monsters and uh, a lot on Toy Story 2 and actually did some storyboarding on Toy Story 2 as really? well. Really? Um, you've done some work for Henson as well. Yes. I remember right. So uh, before all of the animation work, I worked for 16 years um, yes. doing being a, a live action puppeteer. For 10 years of that time, Ooh. I worked with Jim Henson on, on wow. uh, Fraggle Rock, Muppet Show, Sesame Street, uh, so, the movie Labyrinth. Oh, wow. Starring David mm. Bowie and David Bowie's crotch. Oh. <laughs> <Yes>. Two <laughs> separate characters. I was Very tra- separate. Yes. He <laughs> was traumatized wow. by Labyrinth as a So child. what was it like to work with Jim Henson? Because he's pretty much a legend. Well, I've, I've actually been realizing that, that working with, uh, with Jim Henson was... Yeah. Really similar to the way things are, are working at, at Valve. J- Jim Henson was just kind of—he was quietly awesome, and <laughs> and very creative. And he was really good, like Valve, of of gathering together all these wonderfully creative people, and then just trusting them and letting them do what they were hired to do. Trusting in their talent. Yes. Oh. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and you do that, and incredible things happen. As, yeah. as for the uh, puppeteering itself, um, do you find that that really helped you with figuring out, you know, the way way things move? Sounds really daft, but, you know, doing what you do, I, I guess that's quite important. Yes, yes. Um, well, when I was a kid, I was equally a fan of um, puppetry, specifically Muppet-style puppetry, which I, I saw a lot on television, and Disney animation, which I, I saw a lot in the, in the, the theatres. And when I um, 
changed my, my career from being a puppeteer to being an animator, I could still use my, my puppeteer's eye to, to judge if an animated performance was, um, was doing what, what I wanted it to do, if it had yeah. the right weight, if it had the right em- emotion uh, and the right personality. And then my, my, just my childhood study of Disney animation kind of helped me figure out how to make that work. Um, it, actually, Pixar hired, um, trained me to animate um, so I didn't even know how to animate when Pixar hired me. Right. Um, so, uh, but they were they were really smart. This was back in the late '90s when Pixar had trouble finding animators. Oh. Because 2D animation was still king. Yeah. And so, so to to convince really good 2D animators, hey, you want to sit and work a computer? They're like what? Uh. So uh, they were they were looking for 2D animators, stop motion animators. And um, in, in the case of, of me and uh, my, my husband at the time, who was a puppeteer, uh, just people with good acting experience that they could just teach a new tool to to continue doing their their acting. And so that was that was that was really smart. They were able to, to get some some really really um, uh, good experienced people um, learning learning how to use this this new tool for for, for acting. Um, I, I guess the question we have to ask is this is a education-based sort of event uh, at, at the University of Teesside. Have is... people actually learned anything? Well, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to Teesside. And, uh, no. Um, for people that want to get into animating and people want to kind of do what you do, mm. what do you think they need to do? What would you do to become an animator and someone that does what you do? Well, they... The, the big thing is just to create projects, just keep developing ideas from the start all the way through to the end, whether it's something you work on by yourself or work on with, with a team, just, um, you know, just seeing it through to the end for better or worse. If it doesn't turn out to be the way you imagined it, at, at least try to uh, learn something from that. Every, every experience... Is, is valuable whether it, it it works out and is successful or not. And uh, I've, I've done enough in my career. Some some things have worked out and some haven't. But uh, all that experience adds up, and you, you keep learning. The learning is is constant. So just continuing to to make projects, complete projects, ship projects. Yeah. The, the big the big thing at Valve, we look at people who are very experienced and who have just continued to create and ship projects. They have that entrepreneurial sort of drive to get this done and do it and then another one and do it again. Well, it's not just that. It's being able to finish what you start. Yes. That's usually one of the most difficult things is finding somebody who has the drive to complete complete what's in front of them. And, And also, if you're doing that with a team, learning how to get to the end of a project without killing each other, is something to learn as well. Yeah, that's, about, uh, lear- that's always a good learning. Good yeah, lear- learning teamwork and sticking to to a schedule and to a goal and and to uh, to, to shipping something. So really, just just that kind of of, of yeah. product experience is really 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 valuable, as well as working specifically on on your skill set. Obviously. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, thank you very much, Karen. That was uh, Karen Pearl from Valve. Hello. 
I'm Professor Elemental, and whenever I'm not riding a badger around my grounds or hitting my monkey butler with a stick, I'm listening to The Geek Show, and my God, I love it. Welcome back to The Geek Show on 104.5 CVFM and thegeekshow.co.uk. I'm joined by Mel. Hey, Mel. Hello. We're joined by Stuart. Hello. Hello. Um, so, uh, Stuart, uh, you are a lecturer who specialises, I believe, in uh, anatomy. I am. I'm a, I'm a good old boring college professor. It's the best way. It's what we like. We're, we're geeks here. The, you know, we are the geek show. Well, I am a geek. I'm a big, fat, overweight geek. <laughs> well, what, what type of geek are you? What, what no, do you actually, like? I'm an animal anatomy and human anatomy geek. So, yes. so I'm the kind of person who cuts up dead things to learn about them. That sounds terrifying as well. That, that's one third of the way to a serial killer. Yeah. You start with that. And no, then... they're already killed. That's the exciting part. Ah. Yeah. So. <laughs> and uh, Mel, we've had on the show before. How are you doing, Dan? No, I'm all right. Um, so, yes, uh, I, I, I attended, uh, Stuart, I, I attended your, uh, your lecture here a couple of years ago when, when I was an attendee. And it was all about uh, the anatomy and uh, ratatouille. Uh, and just the, the, the beautiful structure of it all. Um, how did you get into doing what you're doing at the moment? Well, uh, it's a little bit unusual. I am a biology professor, and what I do is I teach animal and human anatomy to people like nurses uh, or pre-nursing students, pre- really? uh, future physicians and, and such. Uh, but when you teach anatomy, you teach how animals and humans are constructed. Yeah. And when you work on an animated film or a film with digital special effects, the, the people who produce that have to understand how these things move. Otherwise, you just have pictures on the screen as opposed to movement. And so I have the good fortune of getting to work with a bunch of different uh, companies uh, when they do animated films with animals or people in them. I I, I think you're entitled to a good name drop. Uh, What have you been involved with and which uh, companies? Well, the very first film I ever worked on was uh, probably made before many of your listeners were born. Yeah. Uh, Beauty and the Beast by the Disney company oh. long, long, long ago. Oh, amazing. And then after that was Lion King, which is chock full of animals after all. Yeah. Uh, and then any number. I've worked on about 50 films over the years. Uh, the first Harry Potter helped with Hedwig the Owl and the first Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, helped with um, uh, some of the Shrek movies. Uh, uh, Stuart Little, a bunch of the Disney films. Uh, more, more recently worked on uh, Bolt and Tangled for Disney. Uh, how to Train Your Dragon. For, uh, oh, yes. Uh, how, how, how exactly does one teach people how to animate a, a mythical creature? Uh, that's, a great, that's a great question, actually. And, and, and what you have to understand is that most mythical creatures, whether they're half horses and half humans, they're part of things yeah. we already know. So if you look at the things we did in How to Train Your Dragon, every one of those dragons was based on a real creature, whether it was a bird or a bat or a pterodactyl or a dinosaur or something. Yeah, and, and that's your starting point. We know there's no such thing as a dragon, but if there were, how would you build one out of spare parts? Love it, love it. Um, just uh, as Animex as a festival, obviously you're an, a repeat offender. Um, mm, you've been yeah. here a couple of times. Would you like to hear what we described ourselves as on, on the auction stage today? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, the, we were talking about all the first-timers. We called them Animex virgins. Yes. And then there was the Animex sluts, those of us who've been here for years and years and years and years. Yes. And we referred to the director, Chris Williams, as our Animex pimp. Well, he does have the cane and the big hat. Yeah, well, you know, he's a better dresser than any of us either, so there you are. <laughs> um, just kind of with, with Animex and all, all the workshops that you've been doing, um, I've, uh, Mel, I've, I've, I've heard uh, Stuart's been beating you up. Yep, he has. He was really violent, weren't you, Stuart? <laughs> I don't think that's quite an accurate description. Right, okay. Uh, well, I, I want to hear Mel's... Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to hear what Mel's going to say first, or at least it goes in the police report along with it. 
Well, what have you been up to, Mel, with, with uh, the, the violence and the throwing and the whatnot? Well, to be fair to him, it was us beating him up, really. Oh, it's even better. I like this already, yeah? Cool. What, what was it? It was, um, Stuart did a workshop on fighting for animation. So, you know, we got to get him with some judo throws and various other things, basically. And Niall chewed one of his sticks. <laughs> nice. Uh, Niall, for anybody that hasn't been listening before, is uh, Mel's guy dog, who is absolutely lovely. Um, so, uh, Stuart, from your from your perspective, what what, what was the workshop about, and uh, uh, with with the with the judo throws, I believe. <laughs> well, over the years, uh, I've done workshops on animal anatomy and movement, and human anatomy and movement. And this year is a little bit of a twist. What we did is human movement, but human movement. Uh, as as uh, you would use it in a fight scene in a film, but particularly so animators could figure out the mechanics of the body and how it moves. So we spent a lot of time on on how you move your body and to, to sell it to look to look good on film. But to sell it to look good on film, you've got to start with the real thing. So we had we had people punching me, we had people kicking me, we had people, uh, and that's not so bad because you can wear pads. But then we had to have someone throw me around, and so I asked I asked everybody in the group, does anybody here do martial arts? And, and Mel said, well, you know, I can't do Mel's accent because I'm an American. And we, 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 we Americans talk through our noses. And, and so uh, and Mel says, well, I did judo. I'm like, ah, well, then you can throw me around. She says, are you sure? Boom. And, and down I went. Now, Go on ninja on him. Yeah. Nice. Nicely done. Um, okay, cool. So uh, the, the question we've been asking everybody, uh, you know, all the guests, is what, what, would, you, uh, what would you tell people to do all the students to get in the position you're in at the moment? Well, I'm in an unusual position. Yeah. Uh, I do something rather odd, and the, the piece of advice I give people uh, is that there are many, many roles in the film, entertainment, and animation industries, Yeah. and I never would have been involved if I thought to limit myself to just what I studied in, in university. So, for instance, I studied biology, and I, I wound up getting to teach anatomy to artists. How fun is that? Right. Now, the people who are here at, at, uh, at, at Teesside University are studying any number of different things. So the animation students might become animators, but they might become anything within the entertainment industry as long as they keep an open mind and are always willing to learn. That's that's the key. That's the key. That's awesome. Um, what, what do you what do you, what what do you call yourself when when you're doing this? Do you call yourself a consultant? Do you call yourself a what, what can what what do you, what can you get away with? Well, people call me lots of things, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I, what I call myself first and foremost is an educator. I'm I'm a I'm a uh, a science educator, and science is important. Um, uh, within science, I'm an evolutionary biologist, and that's important because understanding how we got to where we are is is a very important perspective. But that allows me to be a consultant to film studios. Or to be a participant in in uh, events like Animex. The um, from the opposite angle, as I've just asked, uh, how how do we get to where you are? What what would you say to students from your position? Uh, what are the main tips with making their animations of you know creatures more lifelike? One of the things that people forget is that there's always a place to start, and that's the truth. The great example yeah. is caricature. If yeah. you look at a caricature. It has to still resemble real life, even if it's highly exaggerated. You always start with the real thing, and that grounds you in how things work. And that's why we have Mel with us because she's such a good sculptor yeah. that she can she can feel what the real thing is, right? And so, what I always tell students is that the reference 
no matter how cartoony, no matter how, no matter how stylized, no matter how exaggerated, if you start with the real thing, if you want to have a dog, you do what Mel does and you sculpt or draw a dog. But if you want to have a crazy cartoon dog, you still do what she does and start with a real dog. And then you move on from there. Same thing with any other kind of creature or human you might, you might be incorporating into your creative process. Okay. Um, well, uh, as for Mel, uh, I, I know that you uh, originally created some blue type models, uh, I believe it was. Uh, How do you start and it's make things? It's a good thought. Uh, well, of it's just imagination, really. If you can think it, then you can do it, basically, or you can try to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way I got started making the models to start with was when I was a kid. I, yeah. I didn't, you know, you get those like toy animal sets. <laughs> and um, I was like, well, it didn't have the species I wanted. And if it did have the, the species I wanted, it wasn't in the right pose. So I was like, well, sod this, I'll just make my own. <laughs> um, and one of the things that, that, that Dougie kind of mentioned last time he was on the show is, is that showing, showing these models to yourself, Stuart, um, uh, you kind of looked at them and went, wow, that's really impressive, this, that, and the other. Um, how, how do you feel that, you know, what, what Mel's doing really impacts the way people learn about uh, anatomy? And Well, one of the things that, that I tell all of my students, whether they're going to be physicians or, or scientists or anything else, is that you can't learn the construction of something mm. from a book or a picture or an animation or a video alone. Because no matter what is a page on a book... A projection on a screen, even if it looks like it's done in 3D, is still fundamentally projected on a flat surface. Yeah. And let's face it, if, if I'm sick or I'm ill and I'm going to have a, a physician carve into me, I want them to know where everything is in three dimensions. And so so everything starts with reality, and reality is a three-dimensional thing, and, and, that's, and that's the point. What Mel does is three-dimensional artwork. So... I got to tell you, if I had a sighted person who had only ever read a book, and Mel, who actually understood where things were in three, I'd rather she cut me open than that person who only ever read a book. Absolutely, frankly, because you would know how deep to go. All right. <laughs> well, and we... so that's that's the start for all of the students is the three-dimensional reality. Actually, when you say that on How to Train Your Dragon, the idea was to build dragons together out of different kind of parts of different animals. Do you feel that uh, your knowledge of evolution helps with that in a way to blend them together rather than just kind of odds and ends, stick them in, pop up yeah, pirate style? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, 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 is, uh, it, it is helpful because, uh, for instance, the example that we use uh, in How to Train Your Dragon was d- dragons fly. Okay? That was one of the problems. And so there is a very, very specific way to fly. Flying is a really hard thing to do. So the first question we asked on the, on the film was how many times in the history of the planet did flight evolve? Well, only four times. Bats and birds and bugs and pterodactyls, right? Mm-hmm. Which means it's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And the reason is is because there's a very constrained set of physics that allow you to fly. Mm-hmm. That's why it's hard to make an airplane that works properly. Mm-hmm. So we knew that we had to treat the wings of the dragon the same way we would treat designing an airplane or, or, or analyzing the biomechanics of a flying bat or bird and we knew that if we studied it that carefully, yeah. we would produce a good product. Mm-hmm. And in fact, i got to tell you, when I first started working on that project, I thought it was sort of fun. But by the time we were done, it was one of the best things I'd ever worked on. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anything other than bees. Ignore the bees. Well, uh, 
Actually, actually, yes. one of the kinds of dragons in that film yes. called the, oh, the, the Big Fat uh, yeah. uh, Gronkle actually has bees that work, uh, excuse me, wings that work like that of a bumblebee. Oh, I dug myself a hole there, but yeah, yeah I, sorry, but that's I just called, remembered. Yeah, like the audience plant there, you know? But, yeah. So. That's awesome. I um, do wonder what the Zippleback was based on, because it was a very unusual... It was, well, imagine, not so much the, the two necks, but the shape of the animal's body, mm-hmm. and its wing shape is essentially based on that of a long-necked bird like a flamingo or a crane. Oh, yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It does, it's not an immediate connection, because it's rather grotesque-looking. Yeah, but the, but the flight mechanics and the shape of the wings is that pretty, pretty much of a, a long-necked bird. Yeah. Oh. So, I'm... Um, I know, I know it's a stupid question because birds and reptiles, etc. Um, but are, are the dragons more based on birds, their movements? Like, even when they're on the ground, are they, are they more bird-like? It, it depended on the character. Uh, for instance, the main character, Toothless, acts a lot like your pet. It's, it's d- designed to act like your pet cat or dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Toothless seemed very catty. Yeah, but, but his, his wings were very much those of a bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the others uh, had the wings of a bird. Uh, the um, uh, there was one that was shaped like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but its yeah. wings and and uh, behavior were like that of a parrot. So we sort of pick and chose. Uh, but what you have to do when you choose pieces is figure out how the pieces get sewn together best. So yeah. there's a lot of uh, we went over through over a thousand designs before we settled on six. Sounds as the T Rex fits the sort of shape of a parrot. So I guess, is that sort of what you looked at then? That is exactly part of what we looked at, but the interesting thing is, and you asked about my background, as I said, I'm an evolutionary biologist. My, my research specialty is paleontology. I dig up fossils, right? Yeah. And in fact, birds evolved from dinosaurs. Yeah. So yeah. it's a perfect match, actually. Hmm. You've just kind of taken a, a leap away from uh, How to Train Dragon. Uh, as for Ratatouille... Um, the, the different characteristics of uh, when he would stand up as opposed to be a rat mm-hmm. would be more human and then he'd kind of sit back on his hind legs and then become, now I'm a human and then when he'd scurry it'd be, I'm a rat you know? Yeah, well, when that film was, was, was uh, initiated most of the animation of the, of the main character, Remy was as a very cartoony animal that walked. It looked essentially like a human in a mouse suit yeah. Right? But he was supposed to be a rat, it looked like a human in a mouse suit. Yeah. And what happened is that when you looked at the film, there was no tension, there was no drama. Yeah. Uh, because you said, oh, look at that cute little um, you know, fuzzy thing that, that makes food. There was no, no feeling of, oh, no, a rat in the kitchen? Oh, that's what we needed to is make it, the film work. Mickey Mouse, I'd let Mickey Mouse cook me a dinner. Yeah, exactly. But, but you wouldn't let a real rat come into your kitchen yeah. normally. So what the director, Brad Bird, decided is we had to, we had to scrap a lot of that. And, and we had to have the rats act like rats much more often mm-hmm. so that you would remember that, oh, they're rodents. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and he wanted, when a hundred of them came into your kitchen, he don't want you to say, look, it's a hundred of Mickey's friends. He wanted you to go, oh, my God, rats. <laughs> and and he's, the first thing he said when we started uh, retooling that film, he, says, he said, more ratty. And so we knew that that Remy would be on his hind limbs, otherwise he would have problems acting. And it is a film, animation is still very much about acting. If you look at Ed Hook's um, uh, workshops here at Animex, you'll see that. But when he was on all fours, he had to scurry like a rat to remind the audience of what he was. That's brilliant. Well, we, we really have to wrap up here. We would love to have you all day. Um, so thank you very much, Mel. Yeah, thank okay. you very much, Stuart. Um, 
Stuart, you're an absolute inspiration. You're 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 a geek's geek, and we we love you here. Okay, so we'll we'll catch you next, probably next year. I'll look forward to you. It's a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, uh, joining us right now we have Ed Hooks. Um, this man is a legend. Thank you, by the way, for having me. Thanks for yes, having thank me. Thank you for joining oh, us. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> um, Ed has written a book called Acting for Animators. I, I, now, I, I think the question to kind of ask is, why is acting such a heavy part of animation? Well, the answer to your question about acting is because uh, it's about communications with other humans. I mean, you're... Yeah. you're uh, it is. It's all. All of it is communication, and that's going to be performance. It's going to be a story about what mm. happened to somebody, and uh, you got to have acting for that. Okay. Um, now, uh, do you work anywhere at the moment? Are you working with any studios, or or are, are you the the Godfather? They just lower in. I'm the Godfather. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I live in uh, Chicago. And, uh, so you are the godfather. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I lived in California for 30 years, and I was in New York before that for about eight years. Yeah. But uh, I, uh, uh, I travel a lot, and uh, I teach at various schools, and it's, uh, at most of the studios. I've been to most of them one time or the other, and the game studios. The big ones with Electronic Arts and Ubisoft and yeah. uh, all of them. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm based in Chicago, and uh, and I travel. I go to all around. I go to China, go to India, I go all over Europe. I go, I've been to Australia, Brazil, wow. Singapore. <laughs> do, do animators sometimes find it difficult understanding why acting is important to what they do? Sure, and also animators don't want to be actors by and large. Yeah. Yeah. So. The reason why my book is uh, so widely accepted is because there was not a book before that of any kind. Uh, I pretty much am the person who figured out the difference between teaching acting to animators versus teaching it to actors. Right. And because there's two different things. Because actors actors, uh, work in the present moment. Like, you know, I touch your cheek, you react, I react to your reaction. So actors have to work a lot on sensory things, on on getting up and doing things, on emotional memory, stimulation, relaxation, concentration, all these kinds of things. An animator doesn't have a present moment. An animator has 24 frames make a second. Yeah. So an animator has an illusion of a present moment. So they have to imagine the yeah. emotion. And also animators are visual. They're, they're visual. See? I mean, like I have an exercise that I do in my uh, class, okay, sometimes. And I, I call it the master-slave uh, exercise. So I have two people get up and one of them is a king and the other yeah. one's a slave. And it's really interesting because animators, if you tell an animator, okay, you're a slave and the other one, you're a king they will immediately start thinking of what that looks like. Yes. Okay? Yeah, (laughs) they think about what it looks like, and they should, because they're visual, they're animators. But if if I was giving that note to uh, Anthony Hopkins, and I said, you're a, uh, okay, you're the king, he would not, it wouldn't occur to him to think of how that looks. 
he'll wait to be told what he's doing. Yeah. Right. So, do, do the animators think of a scene as in a camera-esque scene and kind of arrange themselves appropriately? Or, or is it well, you know, just a matter of... No, here's the thing. You've got to keep in mind that the animators themselves are not the actors. The characters that are performing are the actors. Yeah. And so the, the animator is more like a, almost like a puppet master. So, I mean, you, you have to... They have, an animator has to learn to look at a scene from the character's perspective. Yeah. So, if you say to an, uh, say to your character, what are you doing? And that character is scratching his head. Mm. From the animator's perspective, that is indeed something he's doing. I made him scratch his head. But from the character's perspective, that is not a doing. That is behavior. Yeah, yeah. The, the doing has to be an action in pursuit of an objective. Like if you want to go from, from Teesside to London, then getting to London is your objective. And all yeah. of the actions that you have to get there, those are doings. And then to make it theatrical, you have to have a, an obstacle. So for, for good animations, is it a matter of filling the gaps, thinking more like, as in, you know, there's head scratchings, as, as, as you said, and, and, and kind of giving it those tiny little nuances that that make, make it more interesting, the details. It or, is. Or is it a different way of thinking completely? No, no, you're right, it is. But really, what very good, fine, top animators, character animators do, is they listen to their character. You create a character, and you know this character's values, uh, you know the character's health, his social status... You know his habits, you know his fears, you know everything. And then he's in this situation. And if you know the character, the character will tell you how, how to be moving, what to be doing. You don't have to dictate to it. In fact, when I see an animated movie, I can tell when the director and the animators have been putting their thumb on the scale, where they have not... That, yeah, I can tell when a character does not want to do what they just made him do. Yeah. And and you see that in top movies, big Oscar-winning movies, you see this uh, yeah. mistake. Yeah. Is that something that you would find in, say, games as well? Because games are becoming much more story-based these days. Games are where the excitement is, actually, mm. because uh, the aesthetic of feature films is different from mm. the aesthetic for games. And um, the games are still, despite how sophisticated they are, they're very primitive. Okay? The, the, the cutscene, yeah. the uh, cinematics. Cutscenes are, are really a very inefficient way to do what they do. They're inefficient and they're expensive. And um, I think that maybe 25 years from now, you won't see cutscenes. Very rare. Did you hear that swear, Enix? Yeah, please, <laughs> please. I, I, when I buy a game, I want to play it as opposed to watch it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and also you watch it. With the, uh, most players, they don't mind the cutscenes the first time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I hate the repeated ones, screenings especially. Yeah. Uh, yes. And then you have to sit and look at them again. And it really is just not efficient. You should be able to expose character and story through gameplay. There are some that are trying to do it, but here's what the problem is. 
Mm. It's the same with the feature film, the animated feature films, is they now are spending so much money on development of a game and on the uh, development of a feature film that they won't take risks. So... They, they they have to make their money back. You know, you're you're spending fifty million dollars to yeah, make yeah. a game. Uh, you got to have you got to get it back. Oh yeah. We, it's one of the things we argue quite a lot on the show, being geeks and all that. Um, is it's a real shame the games industry is an industry. If it was a group of yeah. artists making stuff they want, yeah. great. But Barbie, My Little Pony, thirteen, that's being ground out. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. The thing is that the I, I'm going to tell you I'm going to be philosophical now. Yeah. The the avoidance of failure is not the same thing as the pursuit of success. This is very true. And people like right now, what you have in this room here in Animex, we have a lot of people here who are pursuing success. They yeah. have ideas. They're bright. They want to do stuff. Okay. Uh, but the movie studios and the game companies, as you say, it's an industry, it's a business, it's a, it's a, it's a yeah. production line, and they have to get it back. And so when you, put, when you put $50 million in the middle of the table, everyone will try not to screw it up. The, the strange thing is, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the Western industry. Now, my, my expertise is with the Eastern, Eastern animation industries. Mm-hmm. And the strange thing is, as insular as they are, they're exactly the same. Mm-hmm. That is exactly their mentality. They, if they're not pursuing success, mm-hmm. they are just trying not to fail. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Just kind of a closing question, because we're running out of time for the moment. I, obviously, it's a pleasure having you. We, we, we'd keep you all day oh, if we could. Yeah, I, get um, I would. The, the, the question we've been asking everyone tonight uh-huh. is how do you get into the industry you've been doing? But obviously because what you've done is, is very specialist, what are the fundamental basics that, that you would you uh, just the main one okay. that would someone would use to improve I, their animation? I believe that, I believe that, that, that animators are storytellers, okay? And I don't like it when I see the carrot dangled of a job maybe at Pixar or DreamWorks or something. Yes. Those are good places. But you know what? We're ready for the next generation. We're ready to have we're ready to have studios set up in garages again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're ready to have people doing more inventive things. So if the one piece of advice that I would tell uh, tell uh, a new animator is that we want to hear your stories. We want to hear what you think and your values. And you'll make that pay. You tell your stories and you find a way to get it to pay. And you'll do it. you got to remember that Pixar was 300 miles away from Hollywood. Yeah. Yes. All right? And they were doing computer stuff and everybody else was doing 2D. And nobody wanted anything to do with them. They wouldn't give them money. Okay, so you know, there's no reason why the next uh, hot studio can't be in Middlesbrough. This is true. Hmm? Well, thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, you very you much, guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for sparing us some time. Yes. Thank, you. thank you. I thank appreciate you much, it.
Hey everybody, this is Billy West from Futurama. Hi, how you doing? I hope you're doing lousy because I'm doing lousy. And I don't want anybody to be happy if I'm not happy. Now get me a sandwich with maggots on it. Hi, this is Zeb Brannigan. You're listening to The Geek Show on 104.5 CVFM. Hi, and welcome back. This is 104.5 CVFM and you're with The Geek Show. Recording live at Animex. Well, hey, yes. 2012. 2012. Yeah. Yes, and joining us right now, we have Max Howard. Hi, Max. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. And how have you been enjoying Animex so far? Excellent, because I went to the game last night. Middlesbrough Sunderland. I was there. And who are you rooting for? Middlesbrough. Oh, Fulham, actually, because <laughs> that's really my team. <laughs> but, because I did you all a favour a couple of weeks ago. Well, not you, but... Yeah. We beat Newcastle. Well, I'm a Liverpool we, fan, so... We, 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 are, we are proper geeks. So that uh, local sports team... That has 22 people leg, running leg, around on a pitch. Legsphere. Legsphere. I like Legsphere. No, uh, it's Ultimate Taserball. Ultimate Taserball. Oh, are, oh, yeah. are we talking about Blood Bowl? Blood Bowl. <laughs> we should be talking about Blood yes, Bowl. this is good. We need more Blood Bowl in Middlesbrough. <laughs> right, okay, let, let's, let's get back on topic. Back on topic. Yes. Rob, you leads, please. So, Max, what have you been teaching all the students this week? Uh, I have, well, I've done two programs. Yes. Uh, the first one was uh, developing a story and then how to pitch it in Hollywood. Wow. Well, which is where I'm from. It's the buzzword, isn't it? Yes. yes. You see, I thought we'd give you that little thing, but, you know, how to... How to <laughs> It's one thing to write it, create it, but what's the best way of selling it? Yeah. And I do something called the elevator pitch. And the, you could, it should be called the lift pitch here, right? But lift doesn't quite sound the same as <laughs> no. elevator. So the elevator pitch idea is you're in an elevator and somebody, as the doors close, comes in there and it's Steven Spielberg or something like that. And would you, could you pitch your idea between the elevator going to, say, the 14th or 15th floor... What could you say if you could say anything? Could you be that succinct about what your idea is? And in fact, you really have to be, whatever you're pitching, you have to be really succinct. Yes. Be concise, no excuses, and be totally committed to your idea. That's yes. what I, that's my sort of mantra. How, how do you pitch something like Rango? It's like, um, so, yeah, I've got the, like a, a new... You, you, uh, uh, yeah, uh, but you, uh, you'd probably do a Wild West thing on it, you know, told through the point of view of a, of a lizard and, ha and having a... Look at it. You, you know, you See, find I, the core essence of the idea. It's, it's almost you're not trying, you know to, you're you're doing. Not trying to pitch the plot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, what was the other thing you were teaching? Yeah, about? the other program is called the Road to Oscar. Ooh. 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 And it's awards season, right? We've got mm. the the Baftas, which is the British uh, Film Academy uh, Awards. We've just had the Golden Globes. Yeah. And the whole season finishes up on the 26th of February in Hollywood with the announcement of the winners of the Oscar. And there are two Oscars given for animation, one for animated feature films and one for animated short films. Yes. And it's not as complicated as one imagines to enter your film to be considered. Really? really? Yeah. A it's not load of money. No. And that's <laughs> what it isn't. It's whether, you're, it's whether you're eligible. If you have a short film and you've won a qualifying festival mm. or you screen your film in Los Angeles County for three consecutive days, at one cinema, which you could rent yeah. fairly inexpensively, then you are eligible. Mm -hmm. No yeah. one can decide, oh, your film's not good enough to cross the threshold of the Academy. Oh. You are eligible. And for a feature film, 
it's the same sort of rules apply. If you can, if you rent a theatre, you screen it, you have to advertise it in some way. You can't be just inviting all your friends. Yeah. But then you become eligible for the Oscar. Your film is then shown to volunteers within these 6,000 members of the Academy. Mainly wow. it's the animation community who volunteer. So you're probably about 300 people. They have to see 80% of all the submissions, mm -hmm. and if they see them, then they can vote for the nominees. This year, there were 17 films eligible for the Oscar wow. for Best Animated Film, of which five of them have been nominated. Mm -hmm. And the five are, I think I can remember, is Rango. We've talked yes, about that. Yeah. Rango is, is nominated. Puss in Boots is nominated. Yeah. Kung Fu Panda 2 is nominated. Ooh, yes. And then two yes. independent films, small films. A Cat in Paris... Oh, it's wonderful. And Chico and Rita. So ch those two films, those filmmakers will walk down the red carpet on yeah. the 26th. <laughs> and that's a fantastic opportunity. And they qualified because they were able to show their film in Los Angeles County yeah. at a cinema. for They have to do it for seven yeah. consecutive days. That's brilliant. We were saying the other year so, when there was only three nominees under the animated category. We're going, There's more than three films that have been made this year yes, that but, were animated. Well, what ha we have a rule within the Academy that if there's 16 or more films in release, mm -hmm. there are five nominations. Mm -hmm. If there are 13 to 16, there are four and then below that, there are three. And then if there's eight or less, there's no Oscar because it's not oh, considered yeah. there's enough competition. So I don't do it. Which wow. is, it's a fair so way of doing it. I mean, that's my message here. Mm -hmm. It's Oscar season. It's not so far-fetched. Mm -hmm. And if you're a student starting out in your career, mm -hmm. you know, why not have a dream of where you could end up and then try to understand how to get there? Yeah. So that's and, very and impressive. It was, you know, it's, yeah. it's Oscar season and it's fun and people mm -hmm. should enjoy that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And everybody who wins an Oscar... The majority started out either young actors trying to get jobs, mm -hmm. students, people trying to learn their, their trade. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it could be Tim Burton or anybody else. They all started. I mean, Tim Burton was a, a student at CalArts. He was a student there with John Lasseter, who created Pixar, mm -hmm. with people like Brad Bird, who directed uh, uh, The Incredibles and Ratatouille and Iron Giant, which is the oh, film I did yeah. with, with Brad. Amazing. Um, you know, they were once students too, you know, starting out on this journey. And I just try to connect some dots for people, you know, so, and for this wonderful, wonderful group here. So, Well, just kind of, kind of summing up those numbers in my head. So, create a movie, seven days in a cinema, and then you have, say, a one in 24 chance of getting an Oscar. They're good numbers. They're great numbers. They're really good numbers. You know why they're really great numbers? <laughs> Is this year in, in America... Roughly 300 live-action films were released. Yeah. yeah, That equivalent live-action director with a low-budget independent movie mm -hmm. can't even see the Oscar. It's mm -hmm. so far off their radar yeah. of being able to compete. Whereas the animation filmmaker, they can they can pretty much touch mm. that Oscar. That, you know? I mean, having, winning an Oscar is is a huge thing as well being nominated for forever yeah a filmmaker can then refer to himself as the oscar nominated filmmaker yes this is that very stays with them forever right <laughs> put, put olive leaves around anything and it looks yeah. official you know? uh, yes <laughs> yeah, exactly put you olive know. leaves around me and i look official went to pontins yeah. once on thursday like, <laughs> oh what's that at the bottom of that film title it looks very official you know that's all it says where's a hat you know Best in show at Pontings. Right? Yeah. <laughs>
Um, so tell us a little bit more about yourself, Max. How did you get involved in well, the I, film I, industry? In I general? come from a theatre background, um, and I stumbled onto Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, I was yes, at the we, we heard at the introduction. <laughs> yeah, somebody like wanted, three you know, people who did. Yeah, and there was Fraser here, and we were all on it. And um, you know, they wanted somebody to manage a studio in London, and I got the job. And I'm working with all these animators, and and then suddenly. Disney wanted to make more animated films and I was a guy been running a studio for them in London and they didn't have people in America and I went and in 1988 went to America and I come back to do these types of events but my home's in Los Angeles you know, that's, that's home where I play cricket can we talk about cricket now which is my if real life want, yes. Yes, yes, I want to yes. talk about cricket because I play cricket every weekend in Los Angeles the best weather in the world for cricket true Ooh, oh, gee, what's that? What do you do? You mean, what? Is that like what? baseball? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is it very popular, then? No, but it's people who play it, it's very committed to it. Right? Yes. Very committed to it. And just this past weekend, I got to commentate on a cricket, on the England-Pakistan uh, match. Seriously? Yeah, but, <laughs> but I'm telling you this story because it, it, it's an alternate uh, cricket commentary called Test Match Sofa, which is runs on the internet with a bunch of guys who watch, watch the TV and do a very irreverent uh, interpretation. Very. <laughs> so, you know, if somebody gets out or does something bad, it's like, what a You know, and, and it, but, but so much of it is in the style of Test Match Special, yes. but the so language deteriorates every so often. Yeah, and it was, I spent the day with them when we, it was very fun. I was there telling them about cricket in America and um, and of course, they get a lot of listeners from yeah. from America, actually, places that can't pick up the broadcasts, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I was going to say it sounds a bit like uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. They're very, very Arthur Dent, but then the swearing, maybe not. So <laughs> no, we so roll that back. They're, they're worth tuning into. They're, they're a very funny bunch, and yeah, obviously they love what they do, and but they put a very funny t angle on the on the whole thing. They sit watching TV, but commentating on it and then broadcasting it. <laughs> See, and, that not, sounds like and not paying any idea. rights to anybody That's either, so, idea. you know, uh, so it's very funny, funny brunch. The, the question we've been asking everybody is kind of moving to a closing question, is what would you say people should do to get in the position you are now? Because uh, all these are all students looking for a career. How would people get to where you are doing what you do and doing what you love? We're talking about cricket? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. I was going to always say, keep your eye on the ball, you know, watch the yes. ball. And that. Okay. All right. Well, I think for an animator making a film, I think animation is a wonderful tool for telling stories. Yeah. But anybody who's making a film, they're a filmmaker. Mm. And animation is a technique with which you can tell stories. And if you get an animated film right, they transcend time. And there's no other form of entertainment, of, of filmed entertainment that transcends time. There are great classic movies which we admire, but we admire them for when they were made and how they were made. And they could be Casablanca or Gone with the Wind, or they're classics and we understand what they are. But I can name a film that was made in the same year, you know, as, as Casablanca, but still returns to entertain. It's Bambi. Yeah. You know, yeah. and Pino oh. before that was Pinocchio, and so, you know these are films that were made in 1939, 1940, 1942. Mm. But they're films that most kids know and have seen, and we've all seen. Yeah. Your kids will see. You saw them growing up, and when you get these films right, and you know, the, and directors like Brad Bird in a lot of the Pixar movies, they don't date. Mm. They will live way beyond their sell-by date, uh, and so that's the true magic of animation. So if you're an animator, 
you think of yourself as an actor, if you're an animation director, you, you think of yourself as a filmmaker and a storyteller that uses the art of animation to tell stories. One of the things that I love about animation is the fact that you're, you're only really limited by your imagination if you are making animations for yourself. I've seen some amazing short animations from Japan and Korea and China. These are just being one person uh, doing all of the stuff themselves. And interesting is that you, you see language doesn't come into it either. Exactly. You know, because it tra can transcend language. It's an international language in, in, in itself, which is amazing. When, when I first came into animation and I would be talking to non-animation people about uh, the magic of animation, I used to say, you know, the animation camera goes where the live-action camera can't go, yes, right? Exactly. Because it's imaginary yeah. worlds. I'm just picking up on what you, what you said. And now that's no longer true, right? Because yeah. the live-action camera does go into imaginary worlds. Transformers. But, but they don't go on their own. Yes, this They is only go there because the animation community takes them there. Mm -hmm. You can make Avatar, but only if animators work on it. Yeah. Uh, and now there's not an area of entertainment that is n or, or news or anything else that doesn't have an animator involved in it in some way. You know, that the tragedy of that cruise liner that, that you know, yeah. half sunk in Italy. As soon as the news, mm. as soon as we need to get inside the ship to have a look what's going on, it's animation. Yeah. You know, there's somebody, it's just everywhere. So, you know, here we're at this, you know, this wonderful place of teaching, of developing new animation talent. Yeah. And really, when they come out, yes, they could do what I, you know, in my world of animated feature films, but just so many avenues, visual effects for movies, games, it's just everywhere. Animation is in everything we see. Yes. Okay, well, thank you to very much. To geeks everywhere, I'm very pleased to have been part of the show. Okay, thank, thank you, you very, very much, much Max. Pleasure speaking to you. Go, Go Barra. <laughs> this is Geek Show interview with uh, Ken Wong at Animex 2012. Uh, hi, Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. And how are you enjoying Animex so far? Uh, it's been tremendous. It's always really nice to come out here and, uh, you know, meet my industry peers and, and meet the students. Uh, it's really energizing. Um, your last project was Alice Madness Returns. How did that, uh, how did that go down? How did that turn out? Uh, it, was, it was really good. Um, it, you know, it's kind of a dream come true for me. I was a big fan of the original. Uh, and, it was, and doing fan art for that was kind of how I got into the industry. Uh, so working on the sequel is uh, a dream came come true. It was a lot of hard work, you know, uh, for many years. But um, to finally see the product out was really satisfying. And what have you been doing since then? Um, so since uh, I, I finished work on that, I worked at a couple more uh, smaller projects at Spicy Horse. And then I left the company last year, and I've kind of been freelancing and working on my own iPhone game since then. Your own iPhone game? This sounds intriguing. Tell us more about it. Oh, it's, it's quite early in development right now, so I, I'm not going to spill the beans, but um, you know, there'll be updates posted on my website and Facebook and stuff. Yes, you heard it here first. Phil has a question. Um, with your art style being well, quite intricate and beautiful, and it, it's, it's very, very nice, how does that translate to such a small screen with the iPhone? Oh, well, I mean, it's, it'll be for iPhone and for iPad as well. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I like to think that I have a variety of art styles, and I kind of customize for the projects. And so, you know, the, what I'm working on is, is, I think, quite different from my work on Alice Madness Returns. And uh, you just have to see how that works out. Is it a similar art style to Alice Madness Returns, or is it uh, something a bit more out there or a bit more refined? 
No, um, it's 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 similar to some other stuff that I've got in my portfolio online. So, uh, not not similar to Alice, but it's similar to some of the other stuff that I've I've done before. Um, when you were talking to some of the students outside, I heard you talking about uh, form and function as part of design. Can you tell us a bit more about your philosophy about that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a maxim that applies to a lot of different design, and that that form follows function. And so, um, you know, it's I think a, quite a common um, beginner mistake that um, some students, especially in their early years, they're they're thinking about kind of the end results of, of what they're drawing. They're thinking about just the external appearance of maybe some characters that they admire, or you know, some stuff they've seen on TV or in a film or in a game, and they're not really looking at at how you know these characters or these objects or these scenes were designed from a design brief or from themes or from you know a gameplay perspective like like how are we going to create a gameplay environment that reads well and is fun and and that's why it's important to think about the function and then kind of shaping the art around that as opposed to just thinking about the art uh, straight away and directly ah excellent and still no hints about the game we are curious we do want to know uh, yeah, it's you know it's still in its early stages, but I'll be pimping it later on. Oh, we were hoping for an exclusive, right? Uh, that was the Geek Show interview with Ken Wong. Thank you very much, Ken. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everybody. This is Vic Mignogna, voice actor for shows like Dragon Ball Z and Full Metal Alchemist, Bleach, Naruto. Guess what? I'm a geek. I'm a geek just like you. So I want to see you listening to the Geek Show. Hi and welcome back. This is 104.5 CVFM and you're with the Geek Show live at Animax 2012. Oh, hey. Yes. Joining us now we have Tegan Morrison. Hi Tegan. How Hello are you doing? everybody. I'm doing great, thanks. Now that I had a nap. Now we've, we've yes, I just woke up. We've been having us over here like a zombie. Uh, tell us who around. you are, who you work for and what exactly do you do? Wow, the, the exact yeah. part is going to be really difficult, but I can do the other parts. You can fly uh, so I'm Tegan Morrison, and I work for Naughty Dog, um, yes. and I'm uh, their lead technical artist. Good man. So, so that is kind of a broad, vague description, um, and the specifics are, uh, are many and far between. So in, in short, um, I, uh, I resource manage uh, a lot of the art teams, and... Uh, also do a lot of environments because that's uh, kind of where I came from. Uh, um, so what have you been teaching everyone this week? Yes. I was in a couple of lectures um, on just environment art in general um, and I, it was a consolidated version of a long one so I just kind of squeeze out all the fluff uh, which turned out to be the meat <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and try to sum up our process in an hour which uh, <laughs> difficult. Wasn't, wasn't easy, yeah, that's for sure. Um, so what is environment art? Oh no, no one's asked me that basic question before. Well, this is the it's too basic for me to answer. Because, uh, I mean, I have this kind I, I of vague idea mm -hmm. of what environment art is, I, I, but I'm thinking like backgrounds and buildings and all sorts of things that are around the characters, but I don't know whether that's Isn't what it, it is or not. the environment in which the game or world takes place? And see, you guys know. <laughs> you were just seeing what, what I thought of it. Did the but yeah, it's, it's the art of the environment. It's... <laughs> It's everything you see that isn't the character and isn't an NPC, right. isn't a human for the most part. Okay. Um, and or, 
isn't, isn't saying that's an active gameplay element. Actually, that's probably a bad description. That's an awful description. Mine <laughs> it, was awful. No, mine. No, oh, mine. Yours was great. Cause it was, but I tried to expand on it, and you can't really expand on it. It's the environment. It's everything around you. It's the world. Well, since we're talking not at all, we can just say, here's what it is. You know when you're playing Uncharted and you're staring at the buildings, and then you get shot? It's what killed you. It's the <laughs> fact that everything's too pretty. <laughs> I, that happens to people I know. We, well, only because people you know make games and care immensely about them. Yeah. I, 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 realize, hope, I really hope. You do realise you had a hand in making Uncharted 3, didn't you? Yes. Yes, it was his fault. <laughs> oh, oh, so, so by that's... sort of association with those buildings, I get blamed. Get <laughs> yeah, to the root of the problem. Absolutely, now. absolutely. So it, I might as well have just come up behind you and slapped you on the head while you're playing and yes. you die. That was basically I get, I what I did that. with my pretty environment art. It's <laughs> a content reason to die. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Uh, fair, enough, fair enough. But that's you know one of the many hazards when uh, navigating Uncharted is if, don't, if you stop to smell the flowers, you'll get do killed. You, do you think they plan it out during level design? We're going to make a really pretty bit here so the player sits and goes, oh, I love this, and then shoot them. <laughs> we actually do try to do the opposite of that. So when the player's not doing anything, we try, oh, we're going to make this lovely so they can really absorb it. Mm-hmm. But then usually someone says, let's check some enemies in there too. This is just to get, you know, we, why not? Uh, and, and then they shoot too you. Too quiet at this creep. point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got to ask, it, it's part of my upbringing, so I have to ask Yes. You. Have you ever been tempted somewhere in the environment to put Tegan was here? Or something along those lines? <laughs> it, it, it is a, almost a running joke at this point, actually, that um, our texture artist, um, or whoever the, whoever's texturing some one of the levels I had a lot of parts in, yeah. um, puts my face in the level. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, can actually, you can actually find my face twice in the Warzone level, in, um, actually almost three times if you're looking really carefully in in Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3 they're going to be playing that now looking for it <laughs> um, Uncharted 3 I'm, uh, I'm one of the kings in the paintings on the wall in the chateau wow. <laughs> do you remember that? Do you remember? that's me can you fit that ego through the door? I'm the king. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I had someone post it on my Facebook. I'm like, I found King Tegan. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I'll take that. Oh, wait, it's in the game. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> that has it, to be it. it shouldn't be too hard to find because the way the textures get swapped out really, really late in production, um, he sw- switched it for my picture and suddenly it just appeared everywhere. <laughs> like, it wasn't really deliberate. And no one in their right mind would have done that to begin with. So, there was placeholder in there, and it was a couple of days before we ship, and he's like, I'm yeah. just going to stick you in there. And, and I'm everywhere, and it's kind of, it was almost a nightmare. Surveying <laughs> your background kingdom. I've, I've, just, I've just imagined falling through the skybox, uh, falling, you know, off the map, and there'd just been pictures of you glaring in the skybox. <laughs> <laughs> like the G-man of the game. <laughs> it's possible. I, they're up there. I... Yeah, I our cheeky texture artists. Uh, just text- they had a lot of subtlety, actually. Textures the other side of the models is just you going, what are you doing on this side? You know. <laughs> See, it's a shame we can't, do, we can't backdate it. It'd be, it'd be great if you could just run through, you know, on yeah. Crash Bandicoot, mm-hmm. where you can go through different worlds and just have Tegan's face floating by. I'm, I'm up with this mod. I'm, I'm down for this mod, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure the fan community can, uh, can contribute that. It'll um, be how you can although, tell. Although I, I will say it's, it's not really, it's, it wouldn't be fair, because I, I came in at Uncharted 1, and I wish it had been in the Jack and, and uh, Crash days, because whenever I ask someone, have you heard of Uncharted? And if they haven't, I'm like, okay, I'll go back a little further. Have you heard of Jack and Daxter? Oh no, I haven't. You had a crash, and they're like, "Yeah, crash! I love that." And I'm like, "Oh, you haven't been in games for a while, have you?" (laughs) (laughs) All right, okay. Well, if if we're going to be geeky, um, what what's the most difficult technical 
thing you've had to kind of get over with with in your job, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's as in particular games. I, I, I want I want gossip. So. Uh, Technical in in, uh, in Uncharted, what was the, yeah, the biggest yeah. kind of technical hurdle? Yes. You should have asked for like social hurdle, the biggest kind of. <laughs> we could, we'll we'll do that next. No, well, Section two. Yeah, I want to know about that. Any funny stories? <laughs> I think that falls into the social hurdle, doesn't yeah, it? Probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's always hard to pick that, that one that stands out specifically. Um, yeah. Because of, of course there's a bit of strife. There's always a bit of strife. Um, and, and, and I really, if I, I'll, how about throughout the rest of the show, I'll, if I think of something, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it in. It's just it's hard to come up with something specific. That's fine by me. The oh, yeah, production sure. is just wrought with, uh, with drama across yeah. the whole board. And, 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 but nothing so extreme as, you know, no one tried to attack each other. Well, that's, that's surprising. That's, that's, that, good. that's good. That's good. That was. That's always a good thing to get through the end without any physical altercation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With the de- incredibly detailed background, what kind of order or process goes into making them? I mean, do you start with a rough which you delete later for testing sake? Or? Uh, we should. <laughs> Usually that happens in our head, though. <laughs> I mean, I'll lay out this kind of uh, this process, this step-by-step. It's like, here's this next step. We draw on this block mesh, and then we, and then we rough it out in, in geometry, and then we start building the final art. But all of that is just made up. It happens in our head <laughs> most of the time. And we tend to, just because we're so focused on production and getting things out there, we tend to just uh, kind of skip as many steps as possible, I'll admit. So we should, if we did it right, sort of block things out artistically and really think about the big shapes and the big flow um, on, on sort of in a, in a more practical sense, in a physical sense. But, but we just kind of... Sort of do it in our head. Is, is, that, is that what you tell the, the documentary crews when they're doing the, the, the film making of? No, it's no like, yeah, we, we give we, them we the process. We don't, we don't tell them that. Here's the process. We pretend there's we, actually we do some, this some and method it, to the madness. You put up 3DS Max and go, let's get them basic out. I can't remember how to use this program. Sometimes we even, we even make up the process um, after yeah. we've done it. Like okay, like, well, it was kind of like this in our head, so let's just put this into, into you know, we roughed it out in our head, so we'll make a rough yeah. in, in, in mind. I've done that And before. then we'll concept over the top to pretend that it was concept. Get yeah. the end product and then work backwards <laughs> yeah, to say, yeah, oh, yeah, just, I totally followed this design exactly. process. Right. We knew what we were doing. And, yeah. and this part uh, exists because Tegan didn't like the, the other colour, really. And just things <laughs> like that, you know. It's like... You don't put that in when talking about it. I just really didn't like the guy that was designing it, so I sent him for coffee. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> that be mint? There's a bit of that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think the question we've been asking everybody that's been coming on, kind of as a closing question, is for all the students here, what are your main tips for getting to where you are, and preferably not your job? What about your level? Yeah, <laughs> a, a, about your level, but not taking your job. Yeah, not taking food. Coming over here, taking your jobs <laughs> and all that. How to be a diet it, version of it, you? It's yeah. funny. At a point, uh, Naughty Dog said, "We need to hire another Tegan." No, but don't worry, we're not going to replace you. We just need another one. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll I'll be on the search for my clone. Could, yeah, somewhere. you find a clone. Employ me. And, oh, oh, yes, we do look fairly similar. So I think it, it comes down to, more than anything, motivation um, and just how completely hardcore you are about it. So it, it just spending those late nights when it's just you motivating yourself 
uh, into the night rather than, you know, people in production environments. That just sounds to, very wrong. <laughs> I do spend most of my evenings motivating myself. Um, <laughs> Where do I on. sign the dotted line? <laughs> um, but if, if you're not crazy, crazy into the work, if you don't, if you don't love what you do and what you want to do more than you think is sane yes. um, then it's, it's going to be it's going to be hard to compete so try to try to get insane levels of you know no human should like this that much no human should care about it this much um, and that's kind of how we we get so good at what we do it's by saying well in the big scheme of things perhaps video games don't have a particularly big ripple in the universe but we want to be as good as we can be at what we're doing at our craft, so let's just be a bit nuts about it. And people in general at Naughty Dog are those people. Like, yeah. it, it, we actually have problems with people working too much. We, we, I ask people, go home, you, you're killing yourself. And there's some guy, he, he's, he's there until 2 a.m. I see him at, at 6 a.m. in the morning, well, really early in the morning. I'm like, when did you get in? It was like 6 a.m. And I'm like, what, what did you do? How did you? And he's like, oh, I just slept in my car. In the garage, I'm like, no, don't do that. Why would you do that? That's just <laughs> priorities, man. Priorities. I know we get, we love what we do, but it's uh, we've got to have that work-life balance. That's for sure. So the, the work-life balance implies the life part. Yeah. <laughs> so this is true. Kind of get that. You mean there has to be a life there to begin with to <laughs> even start the balance? If yes. it doesn't exist, then it's just oh, work. God. It's the work-work-work balance. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone please do buy Naughty Dog's game, otherwise if they don't have the money to eat, they will forget to. And, and then we can't have any more. I, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how it so works. You don't want starving in, Naughty Dog. Turning into the Naughty Dog appeal. Yes. <laughs> it's just actually For just £40 like pounds a year, you could save a starving developer. <laughs> did, anyone, did anyone see Tim Schafer's uh, uh, yes. Kickstarter we, project? We covered yeah. it in the news at the beginning of the show. Is that like what, a million dollars at this point? $300,000 just from the fans alone. And then he's getting another 100000 from two-player productions, which we're friends with, uh, who are awesome. Fantastic. Because they did a uh, Minecraft documentary and they did... Uh, Reformat the Planet. Reformat the Planet, because we're big on our chip tunes. So we absolutely love those guys. And that's just yes. the last spent a weekend with them in Edinburgh, yeah. which was cool. I mean, yeah, it's, it's thrilling to see that. It's, it's kind of an entirely new business model and that people buy the game in advance. Yeah. I, I wish, yeah. you know, startups had the clout to, to be able to do that. It's <laughs> interesting, aren't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, right, I think we're going to take a break there. Mm-hmm. Right, well, thank you very much, TK. It's been a pleasure having you. All right, and yeah, it's been, it's been great. It's been really good. And Hi, this is Private Dick Simmons from the popular web series Red vs. Blue, and you're listening to The Geek Show. Sorry to prove. Hi, this is Phil on 104.5 CVFM, The Geek Show with Harley Likes Music. Hello. Hello, Phil. Hello, how are you doing, mate? I'm not doing too bad. I'm having a nice, uh, nice couple of days up in Middlesbrough. So you're going to play us a couple of songs, uh, tell us what you do. What, what's, what's your current album and, you know, where can we get it? Yeah, I, d- I, had, I had an EP out, which is on iTunes, which is just, uh, just after Christmas, um, which was, it was a big step for me because cool. I make music on Nintendo DS. People look at it and think, you know, okay, that's, that's kind of fun. But now people can say, I can say, oh, it's on iTunes, and people can link yeah. that, and it's people can know that I'm actually doing something with it rather than just messing about. So, uh, yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's good for me. Cool. Well, what, are you going to play us two or three songs? Yeah, this, this first song was called The Adventure, and this is um, the first track on my EP.
It's amazing. We're completely live on the Nintendo DS. This is Phil from the Geek Show, and I'm here with Jeep from Valve. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. How are you finding Animex so far, t- uh, 2012 now? Uh, so this is my second time at Animex. Last time I was here was about four years ago, and uh, and it's it's you know just I'm super honored to be here. Like it's it's a great time, and I'm I'm having an awesome time with all the students here, seeing a lot of familiar faces, people I've met before who are now in the industry doing their thing, and it's cool just to see how far they've come in all these years. Um, just for the, the listeners that don't know you, what do you do at Valve? Simple question, but many daft answers, I'm betting. So at, at Valve, I'm, I'm mostly a programmer. I, I, that's what I'm most skilled at. That's what I feel like I'm most valuable doing. Uh, but at Valve, we end up doing kind of a lot of different things. And so my, my general state of mind is what's not getting done, that's what I should be doing. And so I just kind of fill in the cracks of what, whatever needs to get done. So, you know, uh, sometimes I'm doing, you know, little textures. I've, I've shipped a couple of those as bad as it is. And, you know, sometimes I'm doing uh, sound effects and, and I'm doing level designs and who knows what. But m- mostly programming, mostly fixing bugs. Which, which, uh, which textures and sounds have you been involved in so we can look out for them when we're playing? <laughs> so in, in Portal 1, uh, the, uh, the, the, the challenge mode, where it kind of shows if you're first, second, or third place. I, I'm pretty sure I, I shipped those icons. I don't know if anybody touched them after me. They looked okay enough. Oh, the, the, the really dodgy ones. Yeah. That they, yeah. <laughs> the ones that looked terrible, that was me. And uh, what else did I do? I did the um, I did some sound effects for uh, like kind of the whooshing air sound that goes into the pipes. And, uh, and uh, but most recently on, on uh, Team Fortress 2, I did the, the engineer's uh, fly outfit, like his weird fly sound effects that's um, awesome that is really really cool um I, I really think the the thing i have to ask you full stop is is how did you get involved with valve this is this is what everybody here at animex is trying to do how did you get involved in the company yeah it's it's kind of a cinderella story i, I guess uh, except you know i wasn't like worked to death or anything like that but uh but yeah like one day you know uh, years ago i was totally in in the position of the students here you know i i really identify with you guys and uh um basically i was just uh, you know working on on games at the university uh, or it wasn't university it was digipen and um you know, we made a bunch of really, really terrible, really bad games. And we started to realize that, that what we were doing wrong was um, trying to do everything at once. And so what we did for our senior was try to focus on just a single core concept and really try to polish the hell out of it. And um, by focusing on a single concept, we were able to make a game that, that caught Valve's attention. You know, they. They uh, were, were coming around our career day, and they saw it. They thought it was pretty cool. They gave us a business card, 
And, um, you know, we were really interested in submitting it to the Independent Game Festival. So we emailed them because we had their card, and we said, hey, you, you gave us good advice. What other advice do you have? Like, how can we make the game better? They said, um, you know, why don't you just come to Valve and, you know, show it to some people there, and they'll, they'll have a bunch of advice for you. So, you know, we, we were big fans of Half-Life 2 and all that stuff, like anybody. And so we're like, well, let, let's get a tour of Valve. We'll show them the game. They'll tell us how much it sucks, and then we'll go home and eat ice cream. And, but, uh, you know, it didn't turn out that way. They, they, they were really excited, and, uh, and they basically they gave us an offer on the spot to start working there. And, you know, we were just blown away. We didn't know what to say. A bunch of us already had jobs. And so uh, we basically uh, just asked, is, is it okay if we have a couple months to finish up what we're working on? And, you know, they, they were fine with that. And, and that's that's how I ended up at Valve a couple months later. That's amazing. Um, and then the uh, the... I believe the the sort of outline of, of what I've been told is they kind of took the core concepts in the game you'd been working on. Uh, is it Narbacular Drop? I, I can never pronounce it. Right, right. My senior game project was Narbacular Drop. It was with uh, it was with the team of people, um, three other programmers and three other artists. So you know, seven people total. And uh, yeah, they they. But I I can't remember the exact words of Gabe Newell because he was there, but he said something like. Uh, like clearly your team is doing something that's working so we want to hire your whole team and so uh you know it, we were just blown away but um I, I think they were kind of interested in how we as a team had sort of arrived at those sort of concepts the things that kind of made their way into portal and um they, they felt like you know we just had some i guess some innate magic in the way we worked together and it wasn't really about you know buying those concepts it was kind of about buying the the team that kind of thought them up in the first place that's awesome it, it, it is exactly what everybody's here to do at animex um the um the the few things i've i've been prodded to ask is because apparently nobody's asked you so far about half-life 3 today uh, what was what, your comments on on that Next question. Next question. I love it. I love it. Uh, Harry? Uh, you say about working in groups was something they, uh, as your team, was something that Valve were interested in. I've heard that uh, Valve sets teams of programmers out differently to normal uh, video game companies, that like you can see each other's screens and actually work together and things. Uh, how would you describe what's different about working at Valve to what you know of other companies? So, so I did have another job before I worked at Valve, and uh, I, I was actually the first programmer they ever hired there. It was a really, really small company. Uh, but, um, you know, there was, there was definitely, you know, this hierarchy of, you know, cer certain people had kind of the final say of they would create the spec of what you were going to do, and, you know, you would do those things because they had way more experience. And, you know, that was really useful to me, like, coming into the industry because I really honestly did not know, you know, what, I, what the hell I was doing or how to make a game. So it was great to have people telling me how. But uh, the way Valve works is, is very different because they, they expect everybody who works there to, to be kind of an equal contributor, um, not just to the things that they're making, but to the ideas that they're contributing and the feedback that they give to other people. And so, uh, you know, we really have this mix of disciplines, you know, people in art and people in programming and writing and all these different backgrounds. And, you know, everybody gives their different perspective on how they look at all, all the different, you know, assets and, and different ideas that people are generating. So, you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm working on code for a specific type of thing, um, you know, anybody can come up to me, whether they're a sound guy, whether they're an art guy, whatever, whatever they, what their background is, and, and you know, kind of give me their feedback on what they think of it, and you know, I can, uh, you know, do more coding to to sort of 
uh, try and fix the problems they're finding or try and, uh, like, you know, meet, meet the opportunities that they're throwing at me because they'll, they'll come up with ideas that I never thought of. And, you know, same way around. Like, uh, I, I've played so many games and just... Uh, I, I have a different background than everybody else, you know. Just everybody has their own perspective, and so I get to look at the things that other people on the team are doing, and you know, just say, "Here's what I think about the story, whether it's awesome or you know, whether I, I think there's holes in it." And just by having all those perspectives, we end up uh, kind of having to create something that resonates with a very, very critical audience from so many different backgrounds that it ends up just raising it you know, to this quality level that's kind of outside of what you see in, in a lot of other companies. Yeah, so what, what's what's next for yourself? What's next for, you know, Valve? Or where, where are you taking it? Uh, where what, what what do you feel the next thing is? Uh, for, first of all, thank you. It's, it's very, very, very nice to, you know, hear people like the stuff that I'm making. We're geeks. We're geeks. We absolutely love it. That's way. And I'm a geek, too, so there you go. Uh, and uh, right now I'm working on Team Fortress 2. Uh, that's what I've... I've been working on it for a couple months, and I, I helped out with uh, the Halloween and Christmas updates that we shipped. I've, I told you about the the engineer. There's a couple little things like the Christmas lights that I did in the Christmas update. <laughs> Mint. Uh, but uh, but right now, um, it actually just I, I just got hooked up to the internet. I've been kind of out of the loop, but uh, we we just uh, you know send out uh, an announcement on the Team Fortress blog t- talking about some of the things we're working on. And one of those things was the top secret you know secret project, and that's actually what I'm working on. So I can't say that much about it but uh there's there's big stuff coming and uh and uh, i'm really really excited about how it's turning out that's awesome well it's been an absolute pleasure as always to speak to you um we can't wait to see you next time thank you very much it's been a pleasure thank you
Hi, this is Phil on 104.5 CVFM, The Geek Show with Harley Likes Music. Hello. Hello, Phil. Where can we get you and uh, where, where can we download your stuff? I've got the webpage harleylikesmusic.com set up now, so that's probably the best place to go. That's got links to you know Facebook and everything and uh, my releases have been on iTunes. And then later on this year, there's going to be something on Off Me Nut Records as well, which will be pretty cool. cool. So, uh, yeah, just keep updated on that, harleylikesmusic.com. Okay, thanks very much, Harley. Appreciate it. You're welcome, and thank you very much. Good day. I'm Graham Stark. And I'm Kathleen DeVere. We're from Internet Comedy Powerhouse, Loading Ready Run. And if you are listening to the radio expecting to hear about butts, you are listening to the wrong show. This is The Geek Show, which is much cooler but has far fewer behinds. You're looking for The Butt Show. It's on the other side. And they obviously haven't listened to us recently. Rob? Yes. uh, Welcome back. This is 104.5 CVFM. You're with The Geek Show, and we're live at Animex 2012. Running out of energy, we're going towards midnight. <laughs> yes. Oh. It it's really? so much fun. Yeah, so it's like half eleven now. Yes. That guy's going to kill me. But anyway. We still managed to get someone to talk to us. Yes. We're joined by Ollie Hoyer from Animation UK. Uh, hi, Ollie. How are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. How have you been finding Animex this week? Uh, really good. Very interesting today. Went to see a lot of the talks. Uh, I've only heard the name of the show, Geeky, uh, and um, yeah, a lot of very geeky uh, animation stuff going on. That's um, the way we like it. Have, <laughs> you, have you been giving any talks yourself? Yeah, um, I've been um, promoting my cause, so I run an animation studio, but I also run Animation UK, which is trying to lobby the government for tax breaks for British animation companies so we can man. compete with the rest of the world. Good man. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't actually understand the state the UK animation industry is in at the moment. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Okay, so um, since about 2003, we used to animate about 83% of the ideas we came up with in this country. So yeah. uh, homegrown animators used to animate that much. We used to export a tiny bit. And over fi- a five-year period, uh, 50% of that work went away. We uh, export the work to countries who get support from their governments. So now we've ended up basically every year for about seven years, we do about 20% of the work that's originated in this country, which means valuable animation jobs and valuable IP are um, exported overseas and we uh, can't make money from it. To me, that's awful. Um... It's a real shame. Um, This uh, country is so talented um, and coming here this weekend, you know, you get to speak to such enthusiastic people that maybe in the future if the government don't stick up for us and don't support us won't be able to get jobs in the industry so it's you know it's it's a it's a massive shame we're no less talented in fact what we're saying is we're more talented if we get the same tax reliefs or even slightly less we'll be able to make better animations and we'll be world beaters and i can i can tell you now that when the rest of the world hear about us with this campaign talking to our government they're worried. If, if we get the tax break, their industries could suffer. As, as a, an average geek, how can we contribute? How can we help? Um, very difficult now because we're so close to the budget and we seem to we actually seem to have achieved something. Now, I'm very surprised, but the governments are listening. We're speaking to uh, David Gort. We're speaking to George Osborne. Yeah. They're listening. I've got a meeting with them in two weeks. Um, and they are considering it, which is something that's never happened for animation. So we're a little late to sort of jump on the bandwagon. The, uh, the DCMS, who are the people who uh, Department for Media, Culture and Sport, and we are yeah. culture, they support us. A lot of people in the parliament support us. Uh, Nick Clegg, Vince Cable, 
a lot of high-powered people support us. It's really down to the Treasury now mm. as to whether they consider us uh, a viable industry. Uh, we're in hard times. Do they consider us uh, a growth industry? Are we going to be able to make money? I believe so. I believe our report uh, says so. So um, it, it, I think if you want to write to anyone, write to the Treasury, say that they should support us. Otherwise, um, if we don't get it this year, I think uh, next year we can do a concerted effort. At least we're on the radar. We've never been on the radar before. Mm. That's important mm. to remember. I mean, surely the, they should be looking at you in a much more positive light, especially with all the bricks that they're giving to the games industry. Mm. Um, film industry, yes. Game industry, no. Um, we, we're very similar. We have the same lifeblood throwing, mm. flowing through our veins as the film industry. And in fact... It's a double whammy, really. While we can't uh, compete overseas because of the tax breaks they're offered, we also can't compete in this country because the films industry, with their tax breaks, enables them to pay their staff more. So when we're trying to compete for staff, yeah. we lose out to the film industry. Um, I think there's viable reasons to give games, film, and animation a tax break, some sort of um, cross-genre tax break. I think they're all valuable industries in this country. Yeah. Um, but uh, this country is short, short of money, and it's where is that money best spent? Whether it's us, someone else, we don't know. It's up, it's up, it's up to the government to uh, say, but I'm just very pleased. It's literally the first time ever that we've been considered for this, and I'm, I'm really pleased and proud that they are listening and uh, they are considering us, and I, I hope they make the right decisions. We do desperately hope that things go the way you hope they go. If, if you guys can think of any other ways that we can help as just standard geeks, we would love to be involved because uh, it's, we're very, very passionate about this. Yes. Same as we've been having a lot of issues recently with copyright laws and whatnot. People should get their, you know, stick their oar in and actually do some work. And we want, you, we want to help you guys as much as possible because you're fighting our battle. Uh, to be honest, the only reason the industry is still going is because there are enough people that are very, very passionate. Yeah, if, if I wanted to make money, I'd go into banking. Um, we, we're not an unintelligent industry. In fact, one of the things our report we commissioned shows is out of all the creative industries, film, fashion, everything, we are the most educated, most highly educated industry. Mm. We're, we're clever people, and, and I think we deserve support. And yes. Thank you very much. Uh, do you have a website we can catch you on? Or? Uh, yes, uh, go to animationorg.uk, and you'll find updates there. There's little bits of information about how you can help us, but as I say, we're very close to the budget now, so uh, all, it, all we really rely on is me providing lots of... Uh, data to the Treasury and uh, it's not easy but it's a, a fight I'm willing to fight. Perfect, thank you very thank much. You very much. No thank, thank you very much. Thank you Ollie. That's us for Animex uh, yes. 2012 the show will be up for download at thegeekshow.co.uk It will all. be broadcast on Monday. Broadcast on Monday live uh, and we've got quite a few live shows coming up, we've got KidsCon we've got Anime Attacks, we've got uh, SunnyCon We've got all sorts of stuff. We will see you guys this week and every week from the Geek Show 104.5 CBFM every Monday, 6 till 8. Check you guys out. Bye. Yes.
For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.